Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. My name is Luke Shankula, aka Longform Luke, and this is the Loans On Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents, put loan officers in the driver's seat. And today I'm excited because we have Jamie Cavanaugh. She is the president and partner at AmeriFund. She has a whole lot of other cool things that she does, but I'm not going to read down this list of accomplishments. I'll let her introduce herself. So thank you so much, Jamie, for being here. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Luke. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, I'm not going to bore anybody with the long list of all the different stuff because I've been in the industry a super long time. And I think anybody that's been in it a long time probably has worn lots of different hats and has done lots of different things. But I think that the thing today that I'm most enjoying is super relevant to the conversation we're going to have, right? So, you know, being the president, being a broker and an owner here at AmeriFund, I get to work with my loan officers all day, every day. And I get the pleasure and the privilege of helping to coach them through every market cycle. And we know that 2023 has been one, right? (laughs) Yeah, to say the least. Just one of the worst markets in history. But hey, you know, who's counting, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously being in the industry a bit, went through the big one, the the crash, and kind of had to reinvent my career at that point. And actually worked with the gentleman who is now my partner in this company, But, you know, originally when this cycle started here, right around the end of 2022, folks like me who had been through the last really, really big one were saying, well, you know, this is different. It's not as bad. No, it's worse. And it's worse because of the length of time that it's gone and because of the uncertainty and the fact that every industry leader and every market expert from every walk of this industry have different ideas about what might happen. And I think for a lot of loan officers out there, whether they're new or whether they're really seasoned, feelings of uncertainty are really difficult for people. It can be really hard. And, you know, before we got started here, we were talking about mindset. And I think mindset is the most important thing that you have to start with as a foundation. But then what are the tactical tools, right? What are the actions? What are the things that need to be done today that might be different from a market cycle where we have a, you know, low rates or might actually be very much the same as the tried and true things that have always worked, right? Of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, obviously in the, the market that we're in right now, I mean, The reason I like these types of market is because it forces us all to level up. Obviously, it's not fun. It's fun, but it's not fun, right? It's fun to level up, but it's also, you know, it's a grind. It's a lot more work. You know, you're doing three, four X the amount of work for half the pay, all that kind of fun stuff. But that being said, before we kind of get into some of those tactical things, I did want to get a little bit of background about who you are, why you're still in this industry. I think you said 26 years in the industry. So first got you into the industry and what keeps you here? Well, actually, when I was in high school. My mother happened to be a real estate agent. She started her real estate career in her 40s. It was kind of cool that she kind of reinvented herself at that point in her life. And I was trying to make money and pay for my car insurance because my parents said, yeah, you can borrow the car, but you better pay your own way. Better fill it with gas. (laughs) Now, of course, I could fill my gas tank for $20 back in the 90s, which is not even close to what we do today. So I thought, okay, what do I want to do? Like, where can I go? Where can I make money? And I did a lot of the usual stuff, you know, restaurant server, the whole thing. But a loan officer at the mortgage brokerage that was affiliated with her real estate company was looking for somebody to do a little bit of everything, telemarketing. Yes, I did it. You know, loan officers, services. So what I would do is I would finish school and I would go and work for three, four or five hours 
the mortgage company. You know how you just get the bug? Like what I loved was the fact that every single loan was a different story. Mm -hmm. And I loved the puzzle. I loved it. And back then, I mean, I cut my teeth on first-time homebuyer FHA loans for eight or nine family members all qualifying together. I mean, just incredible stories of people whose lives we were impacting. And at that age, I had no concept of the impact we were actually having. I just saw it as a really interesting, cool thing. So of course, I graduated and then started college. And while I'm in college, I'm still doing the other job. And at some point, I went, I think I'm just going to stick with this mortgage thing and see where it goes. And here I am. So here we are 26 years later, you're still in the mortgage industry. I assume you never graduated from college, which is okay though. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you probably made a lot more money than most people that graduated in the class. Fortunately or unfortunately, being in a leadership role where, you know, you do a lot of hiring and recruiting, you see all of the resumes, you see Mm people's experience. And, you know, I think I was a 23 year old COO and that had its own, you know, list of interesting challenges, but I would interview and hire people who had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on college educations and were coming to the table brand new to the mortgage industry. And so as much as a college education, I think it's highly valuable. I encourage my daughter you know, to pursue that. I also know that our industry is one of those rare industries where anybody can be incredibly successful and it's not reliant upon that college degree. I do think college degrees help. I think business degrees are incredibly useful in situations like this, but no, I never did. I got my associates. I never went further than that. Never did the bachelor's degree. Never did the master's. My dad probably still today is like, better still, huh? But he can't argue (laughs) that doing okay. I'm doing okay. So yeah. yeah. And as to why I'm still here, we've all had those reflective moments where we said, how did I get into this business? And what else is there? And I think a lot of people probably in this last year have had that reflective time. And honestly, there's nowhere else I want to be. This is such a ride. I mean, getting to not only work with homeowners and help people realize the dream of homeownership, which is an incredible gift and an honor, getting to lead people, getting to teach them. And so I'm at that point in now in my career, in my life, where I say, what am I leaving in this Mm -hmm. industry? I don't think I'm going to go anywhere for any time soon, but what kind of legacy am I contributing to? I come back to every single time is I need to make sure that I am helping to empower loan originators so that when I am no longer actively originating as much as I do, there are some people out there equipped to help consumers. It's so important. And our industry has a bit of a lack of structured training. And I think that it's a big need. Agreed. And it's why we have a mentor program here at Amerifund where anybody at any level of experience can start from the ground up and get their hand held all the way through. So I think it's critically important to educate. I agree. And interestingly enough, I worked for a mortgage company and I remember meeting the CEO and him asking me, oh yeah, what are the things that you would need? I was like, I would love some more training. He basically said, yeah, companies don't really do that these days. They never have. Since well, yeah, and I think that's crazy. Like, right. So I'm coming in, I'm this 20 something year old kid. Like I'm like, I want to be better. I want to grow and learn these things. And like, now nah, companies don't really do that. Company ended up crashing and burning and going out of business in 2017, you know? So like, to me, that's a testament to the fact that like, this is the type of leader that they chose to lead an organization. Someone's like, eh, you know what? We don't really do that. Like you're asking for it, but we don't really do that. To me, that was wild. And I agree. There's a big hole in this industry and probably a lot of industries, but especially in this industry where it's like the training is compliance, and then go call realtors. That's basically the training that is given to most loan officers is do your NMLS license, learn to make sure you don't go to jail, right? Do the compliance stuff. And that's really it. And so 
that's awesome that you have these trainings. So talk a little bit about that. Like, what does that look like from the perspective of like, is that marketing training plus like structuring training? Is this like how to get more business or is it how to run a business? Or like, what does that sort of look like from that perspective? Well, to make a loan officer successful, it has to be all of those things. Sure. And you know, the compliance and stuff, that's really quite honestly, I'm just gonna be real. That's a CYA for the company. That's a company saying like, I don't want to get in trouble and I don't want you to get me in trouble. That is important, but not a practical thing that anybody can apply. So here's what I've learned. And you know, you take it for what it's worth, but I'm still here. If you do not learn how to build a referral based business, you are a commodity. And unfortunately, commodities are traded. Commodities do not inspire loyalty. Many originators have learned, unfortunately, I have a lot of empathy for them, is when we see a market cycle like the one we're in, if you didn't build something that pays you dividends in the form of referrals back to you, you can work four or five times harder than you ever did before. But unless you work differently and unless you work smarter, you're never going to build anything that's going to carry you through to your retirement years. You know, you talk about agent relationships. I know it's a big part of what you do. It is true. There is nothing that can ever compete with clients who know, like, and trust you, who will then refer their own children and grandchildren Mm -hmm. and every person they know, agents who not only know that you're going to help their clients, but who also trust they can be vulnerable to you about the things that they're not so confident in about the loan process. And you can teach them how to better educate their buyers. When you do that, and there are a million ways to accomplish it and a lot of ways that people can start right now, when you do that, you don't see the dividends on day one, but the consistency in the activity Mm -hmm. isn't a if this will work, it's a win. And I right. think that that is a huge part of what every loan officer needs to understand. I agree. I mean, I think if anything, referrals are the best source of business. I think in addition to that concept is so many people, I think, got so complacent with systematic way to get more referral partners, mm-hmm. right? I think that's the biggest problem was people got called fat and happy and they had four or five people that were feeding them, which was fine for 2020. It was might've been fine for 2018, 19, 20, 21, all those years. And all of a sudden, Now you need maybe 15 or 20 people, but you don't have a systematic process. You've gotten comfortable. These are the people that you know. And so they're sending you business, but now all of a sudden they're slow, right? And And so like, I think that's huge. It is huge. And then think about this. The smaller your circle of referral partners, the more impact each one has on you. And real estate agents are no different than loan officers are in the sense that the way the housing market has changed and fluctuated, it's harder for people to afford homes. Therefore, less people are buying them. It all goes hand in hand. So now your five top producing referral partners are doing a fraction of their business. Right. It's a cycle. My experience has always been that I never only have the same five, 10 people. I always have the same loyal people that I respect and enjoy working with who I hope I will continue to earn. But there's the point. I do have to continue to earn their business. Right. I can't just think that I can keep doing the same things and get lazy. But then the other piece of that puzzle is, am I also always cultivating new relationships? Because if I'm not doing that, these over here aren't going to sustain me. I think that's a big lesson for everybody. Well, you're right. I mean, sustaining you, but also you talked about that is like so many people in this industry, unfortunately, I don't know if they've brainwashed real estate agents into thinking that doing your job well is a value proposition. In my head, it's like, if you're just doing your job well, like the way you're supposed to, like closing on time and answering your phone and doing stuff like that, like that's not a value proposition. I get it. Like maybe you're better than 80% of the industry, but do you want to be better than 80% or do you want to be top 1%? That's the difference between the top producers, the top 1%. 
and the people that are like, well, you know, everybody else is doing the same thing. So at least I'm better than them. Well, and you know, this kind of goes back to that leader that you had initially where he said, well, you know, nobody really does the training. So that's the same mindset, right? This is the way yeah. it's always been done. And this is the bar that's been set. So as long as I'm, you know, meeting that minimum, then I'm good. It's funny. I was watching a Gary V, one of his little clips last night. Sometimes he has some really cool leadership takeaways. And one of the things sure. he said was you talk about being a leader and you talk about culture and you talk about toxic folks in the culture. And what he said was top performers are top performers for one of two reasons. One, they're confident or two, they're insecure. Insecurity drives performance just as much as confidence does. But here's the difference. A confident performer has no threats around them and believes that there is enough pie for everybody to have a slice, wherein the insecure top performer is threatened by anybody else who is rising alongside them and mm -hmm. will try to oppress them. That right. applies in everything. It applies as referral partner relationships. It applies to loan originations. It applies to everything. And so I think that it's important for everybody to ask themselves a couple of fundamental questions about what drives them, because wouldn't you rather be a confident top performer who's not only performing at your best, but is also extending your hand to the people around you who have so much potential, but need your help. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Gave me some goosebumps right now, because it's true. I mean, at the end of the day, like there's plenty of business. I mean, I know right now it probably doesn't feel like there's plenty of business, but there's plenty of business for everyone, right? There's plenty of business for the people that are willing to do the work and all that kind of stuff. And I think like people are attracted to people for certain reasons, right? And so by giving it away, like, yeah, sure. You might not get that loan, but maybe that loan wasn't going to come to you anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, I don't know. Abundance mindset. Have I always had it? Probably not. You know, when I was yeah. like 25, 28 and by the way, pre-crash, the entire industry was a dog eat dog world. I wasn't going to call the broker down the street and ask him how he packaged an FHADL. He was going to tell me pound sand because there wasn't any way he was going to help me. I feel like, and I've observed over the last five or so years, that there has been a shift in that respect, that I think that there are a lot more people reaching the twilight of their careers and understanding that they've reached a certain level of success. And at some point, you know, you've hit the pinnacle of the production, the money, and all of that stuff is amazing. You worked hard, you earned it, you deserve it. What else? What else is out there? What else is there? What are you going to be thinking about when you're rocking on your porch and you're 85 years old? Are you going to be thinking about all the money that you made? Or are you going to be thinking about the impact that you had sure, on people? Sure. To that point, what do you think about the concept that people like to pair it around is this concept that like those who can't do teach, right? Like this whole concept of coaches, you know, coaches coach because they can't do the thing. You know, I think there is some people that are like that. I don't know. You tell me what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you that there's a 50-50 chance that people that teach have no credentials to do so. And sure. I think that's unfortunate, but I think that we can kind of avoid falling into the trap of paying someone an extraordinary amount of money to help us. There's this old saying, and it says like, why would you take advice from someone who hasn't been where you're going? Right. You wouldn't switch places. Why would you do that? So why wouldn't you look up the things about the person that wants to right. teach you that tells you whether or not they've actually accomplished it? Right. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to define success. And it kind of depends on what you're asking to be coached on, right? I right. mean, right. I can coach you all day long on operational infrastructure and building a business because I've done that. I can also coach you on how to produce. I've been a hundred million plus producer many years in my career. You know, and coach you in any different direction. And hopefully you'll look at my credentials and say, oh, okay, you know what? She's got it. She did it. But 
a lot of people out there are trying to coach on everything and they don't actually have a grasp of anything. And you don't right, want right. that. You want just do the research. Look at who you are about to send a credit card over to and ask yourself if the person has been where you want to go. And if the answer is maybe or no, pause and go find somebody who has, because I promise you, there are many amazing coaches out in our industry who are at a place where they've had that reflection and have said, I've gotten to the top of the mountain. Now let me pull some other people up to stand here with Well, and I think that's the thing, right? Like, yeah, sure, there is going to be, unfortunately, in any industry, you can make a lot of money. There's always going to be the shysters out there, right? But there is that sort of like intangible thing that comes along with coaching and doing that sort of, it's like, there's a ton of value that comes to the person that's doing the coaching, whether it's monetary or not. I mean, a lot of times it's not even the monetary side. That's why they do that, right? It's because, I don't know, like it's part of helping people. You feel so good doing it. It's the selfish thing really to, to help people at the end of the day, right? Like, because you get that feeling of validation. I help someone do something big, right? I think it's a huge dopamine rush and why a lot of times, you know, coaches that are producing or maybe they stop producing, but now they're doing coaching. Like that's why they do it. It's not necessarily because they want to make more money or anything like that. Maybe sometimes they're making less money than they did producing. Probably. 100%. Most, but most of the time they do make less than they did producing. But yeah. I know for me, you're right. It is a dopamine rush. You get a charge out of it. And the interesting thing about that is, is you can actually channel that positive energy into things that do directly benefit you right. more than say the money you receive for that hour or two of coaching. And what I do when I coach people is I come off of those calls feeling pumped and I look around at my team all over the country and I say, what did I learn from the person that I was helping that 20 of the people on my team might also be experiencing or feeling? And how can I take the information that I shared with them and they shared with me and channel it into something that helps the people on my team, which also gives me an immense sense of gratitude and gratification for helping those people. But let's be real. It also helps the company, right? It helps everybody. It helps every processor sitting out on the floor right now. And so I think that that's really kind of where the coaching is not usually about the money unless you're doing it at some kind of a scale and there's some sort of software involved, which is valuable. I think it's also about feeling good, using it to energize you, and then channeling that into something that helps in your extended circle. Sure, I love that. To kind of like pivot a little bit into... I think the leadership concept, right? I mean, you know, maybe people listening to this are kind of getting started or maybe they're running teams, but I'm always sort of interested to hear the leadership philosophy behind, you know, the leaders in the industry, because like to me as you know, running a business, first time I ever run a business starting 2017, like I'm learning as I go, managing people and leading people and, you know, holding people accountable and realizing that not everybody's like me. Like, you know, I just, you know, show up and get my stuff done. I don't want to be managed. I don't want someone to tell me what to do. Like, just tell me what the thing that I need to do and I'll go figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. That's not how everybody operates. So like, what's kind of the leadership philosophy? How do you show up as a leader, you know, sort of push or kind of help your team grow and your team expand into, you know, a mark like this? The first thing that I think is really important is if you have direct reports, you need to sit down with every single one of them when they come in and you need to do it every six months at a minimum. And you need to talk to them about what their goals are and where they are. Because everybody receives information in a different way. Everybody's goals are wildly different. My favorite story, I had a processor, she was with me for like 12 years. She retired actually with me. You know, at one point earlier on in her career, she was a junior processor and an LOA. Many times I saw the potential in her and sat down at the annual review and I was like, you know, you got it. Don't you want to be a senior? Like A, your income would probably double and B, like you've got the skills to do it. And at the time, she said, I've got a young daughter. Honestly, I watch what the senior processors handle and the pressure on them to make sure that the loans are closing on time and that fielding all the calls. 
I want it. But I didn't just accept that as the answer forever. Every year I checked in with her and there came a point where I asked the question again. And this time the answer was, I've been doing a lot of thinking about that. And you know what? I think that my life is at a point where I would like to take that on. Five years later, she was one of our top performing processors, kicking butt and taking names. Every loan officer adored her. That's the kind of thing you have to do. If you really do want to walk the walk as a leader, use what you have to help other people level up. And understand that that is a selfish thing because when they level up, they level up with you. If you lead with an abundance mindset and you are not threatened by your team member's success, more often than not, they will stay with you. It is the leader that is insecure and doesn't want to empower someone past a certain point that will leave. People don't leave over money very often, especially not in support roles and office. They leave over culture. They leave over bad leadership. They leave over no one listening to what they want and need in their life and in their career. That's amazing. You're right. I mean, you know, it's interesting because most salespeople are primarily driven by money, right? Like, yeah, yeah, we're we're driven by other things as well. But, you know, let's be honest, like no one does sales because they love to get beat up all the time, right? Like, you know, it is what it is, right? Got to deal with the bad, but it comes with a huge significant upside. But the average person, like you said, a lot of operations type people, they aren't so much driven by money. And so a lot of times we think we can throw money at people, you know, give them extra money. And like, the truth is I've had people come or for me that we're going to make, you know, an extra 50 or hundred thousand dollars at a different place, just because like, you know what, I would have had to travel a lot. It was a corporate company. It was like, there's just a lot of different things that, that go along there. And, and so I love that concept when it comes to leadership though, now kind of shifting into maybe someone doesn't have a team to me, sales is leadership to a certain extent as well. Right. Is like showing up, helping the consumer. Like how do you help, you know, your team or people that you coach to show up as a leader, especially in a market like this. Right. I mean, there's so much fear in the marketplace you know, maybe some of your calls are on mindset, but also some of that leadership. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that concept. Most of my calls are right. about leadership. The first Figured. person that you have to lead every day is yourself. Mm-hmm. And it starts with getting yourself out of bed and deciding that you're going to own your day and that mm-hmm. you have a plan. And quite honestly, for independent sales folks, that is the hardest thing to overcome. Many loan originators, because they're discouraged, because they're not confident and they're missing some knowledge and training that they desperately need because they don't know where to start, never lead themselves into any actionable steps that actually produce results for them, or they do it for a little bit and then they don't see them instant gratification and they give up. So my job as a leader, is not just to say, here are the tools, go do this. It's also to check in and say, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you keep doing this? Okay, now let's throw another thing in for you to start doing. And by the time we get done with an introductory period of mentorship and training for the new LO, you know, hopefully they've got a pretty structured schedule and they wonder what they're going to be doing every day because they're doing several origination activities in different ways. Let's do some outreach to build some referral relationships. Let's do some client outreach you know, let's do some database help marketing, whatever it is. Now let's work on some things that are in process. I mean, you have to do a little bit of everything. If you're siloing yourself into one activity, because it's the thing that's comfortable for you, it's the thing you've mastered and you feel like you can do it. You are going to move even more slowly. And the top complaint that loan originators have when I'm talking to folks that aren't here or that are out in the world is I just, I don't, know what to do. And when I feel insecure about something, I don't want to go to that open house. I'm brand new. You know, that real estate agent might've been in the business for 20 years. I'm going to look like an idiot. I'm not going to know how to help them. Well, guess what? Everyone started somewhere. And 
almost everybody in life and business would rather you give them an honest answer that says, I'm not exactly sure, but let me find you the correct information. Agreed. Agreed. And just give you a line because they think that it's what you want to hear and because they want to have an answer for you right away. Use it as an opportunity. My guys are out there pounding the pavement in open houses every week, which is astounding to me. Every single one of them, Florida, Texas, Arizona, California, Indiana, Oregon, Colorado, they're the only loan officer that visited any of those open houses that weekend. And because yeah. of it, they're the loan officer that that real estate agent wants to help. Sometimes the real estate agent sitting at the open house is a brand new real estate agent. They're sitting it open for the listing agent who's right. at a level of volume that they can't sit at that open house. Guess what you just did? You just met a brand new professional in the industry. Now, why don't you help each other and grow together? It's extraordinary to me that some of the basics that a lot of us learned early on in our careers are just not happening. It's interesting you bring that up because I was talking to a real estate buddy of mine. Yeah, I think last year he produced like, I don't know, 40 or 50 million. And I was like, man, you must be getting bombed. Like you just hit call, cold call all the time. He's like, honestly, not really. I don't really get too many cold calls. I was like pretty blown away. And I was like, okay, like, tell me about that. He's like, yeah, not really. And so, you know, I was talking to a couple other people as well. I'm like, yeah, I don't really get that many calls. Real estate agents. And I'm like, blows my mind because obviously like, the predominant coaching in this industry is you make your 40 cold calls on Mondays, right? So everybody's like talking about, oh, the 40 cold calls on Monday. Most people are not actually making those calls because of the reason you said. They're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't want to just say, oh, well, you know, did you play or did you work this weekend? Like, what is it that I'm calling them about? Well, like figure out ways of value. I've even talked to the launcher like, I don't know. I don't know what I have for value. I'm like, that's a lie. I'm sorry. That's fully BS. You've just not sat down and thought about what is it that I do differently, that I do better, that I can bring as value to you? I tell my consumer direct guys, okay, now that you've transferred from consumer direct to like boots on the ground, why don't you do trainings on how to convert leads? Absolutely. That's like one of your biggest skills right now. And most people don't have that skill set. Nope. Who show them how to do that? Like, it's not that hard. And then on the other side, there's the ones that are good with real estate agents. And a lot of times they're like, okay, like, what is your value prop? Like, it's not all about just like, especially right now, they're looking for someone who has a value prop. So from that perspective, like clearly, you know, you're sending people to open houses. Like, how do you train them on creating a value proposition? Do you have some of that sort of training within your, Absolutely. your platform? The very first thing is we talk about the words we use and how to mm. use them properly. So you do not know what kind of questions you're going to get asked when you go to an open house. It could be anything, right? Sure. You can have a buyer walk in. How do you answer any question in a way that is authentic and honest, but doesn't make you sound like a bumbling idiot, to be quite honest with you? And it's very, very simple. You know, if you know the answer, give it. But let's remember something else. Sometimes the questions people ask you aren't actually related to the answers that they need. Here's the perfect one, right? What are the interest rates today? Like, we all know that that is like the top question that people say. Right. What else do we know? The interest rate is based on about 15 to 20 different factors, completely right. varies from person to person, and is also based upon whether they're paying for it or not. So at the end of the day, that's the question you're asked. That's not the answer you're going to give. The answer you're going to give is probably a couple of qualifying questions ahead of your answer. Find out why they're asking. Are they asking for themselves? Are they asking for a client? What kind of client is it? Is it a first-time homebuyer? Is it somebody that needs to you know, buy an investment property? It's going to give you a little bit of a gauge of what you're working with. But then, then you're going to explain that anybody that would give you an interest rate standing at an open house without knowing anything about the client is doing you and your client a disservice. Because what we know is that we need to understand the unique situation that every home buyer has to not just give them an interest rate, but to give them all of the available loan programs, 
help guide them into the one that you believe as an expert is the best one for them. And then talk about within that program, what are the rate ranges and what does it make sense for them to lock in at? So I answered the question, but I did not give them an interest rate. Tactically, then how do you handle that conversation? I'm just curious because, you know, we talk about affirmation, you want to affirm them, things like that. So how do you sort of get around that rate? Because that is a question that comes up a lot. And to me, I'm like, well, the reason people ask us because that's what they've been taught. Yep. To ask. All they know is rate, right? The only question they know to ask is what's the rate? Honestly, I always say this and I know they do care, but they don't really care about the rate. They do, but they don't. They don't know the difference. They're not asking because they care. They're asking because either they're afraid that a bunch of homebuyers are going to come in and ask them that right. um, and they don't know how to answer it legitimately. I wouldn't necessarily be able to answer some residential real estate. I mean, I was one, so I can, but some people wouldn't be able to answer residential real estate questions deeply right. in today's market. So Here's how I handle that. If we're talking about an agent that's asking the question, never, ever make them feel stupid. Just talk about how most agents really value relationships with loan originators where they can be vulnerable and explain the things they don't know. And by the way, the loan officer can do the exact same thing in reverse with respect to the real estate contract. That's number one. Number two, affirm that that's a really common question that you get asked and it's completely normal to ask it. And it's a good question. Then you start to talk to them a little bit about why it's so important to know more about the situation before you give the answer. And then, because what I think they really want is they want something tangible they can give to people to walk into that open house. That's when you come in for the kill. Listen, I have all sorts of really cool materials that I can bring for your next open house. I've got buy versus rent one pager. I've got an open house flyer I can make for you. And I'll even do a nice little payment scenario for you based on a loan, let's say a conventional 20% down loan for you. It'll, it'll have a rate and payment on there and I'll put all the proper language in there to make sure we're protected. Why don't I give a cost of waiting analysis to you? You have any buyers that have come through that you know, you're thinking they might need a little bit of educational guidance? Just give them value. There are a thousand different ways we can do that. And there are so many tools available to do so. You just made them feel validated and heard. You showed them that you know what the heck you're doing And that you're not just going to spit out information that doesn't have validity behind it. And you showed them that you're willing to partner with them to give them the tools they really need in order to answer questions when clients walk in that door. Yeah, I love that. Well, and then same thing with even consumers, right? I mean, it's the same concept around like, they don't know. And so like the only thing they know to ask is what's the rate. And I agree. I mean, it comes down to, I always say this too. You want to have the first thing that you ask be something like, not that you ask, but the first thing is just like affirm it. Like, oh yeah, that's a totally common question. Like, and I love that you brought that up because that just kind of mirrors that. Oh yeah, it's cool. I'm listening to you. And the other thing we tell people all the time too, is so many times salespeople, you know, when they're having these sort of prospecting conversations, it's like, they want to get to the pitch so fast. If they just want to pitch three minutes into a conversation, if they're cold calling, if they're face to face, like you don't like walk into a bar and start like, you know, pitching someone, right? Hey, you, you don't, don't walk up to them, right? You don't walk up uh, to them and be like, hey, or you want to get married? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And hey, I've been coached by multiple people in the industry, some of them professionally, and some of them, they're just really dear friends to me. And I looked and said, they're where I want to be. I'm going to listen to this person. I'm yeah. lucky that I get their time. But if you ever want to know what somebody wants, close your mouth and open your ears. You can get a roadmap to every client and every real estate agent to go straight to exactly what they want from you. If you just ask questions and listen to what they have to say, they're going to feel valued because you're genuinely interested to know what makes them tick. And you don't need to know your value proposition because they're going to tell you what your value proposition is to them. And it's going to be a little bit different for each person that you interact with. Yes. Yes. For everybody who's listening, that is everything right there is... 
sales and no people think that the pitch part is the part that actually sells people. The truth is what actually tells people why I'm so adamant about having a good discovery process. Why I personally believe that the online application is one of the worst things to happen in the mortgage industry, not because of the app itself, but because of the habits that it's created is because of that. Like people are not doing proper discovery. And so they're just, Hey, fill out my application. All right, here's what you qualify. Do a 30 year fix. Boom, dump, done. Right? Like now you haven't listened to them. What do they want? You know, in five years, they want to buy an investment property. Hey, maybe they have, you know, a kid that's going to be born. Maybe they're going to be, I don't know. Like we don't know those things until we ask those questions. And also we talk about this all the time too, is not just asking surface level questions either. A lot of times we'll ask these sort of like, well, where do you want to live? It's okay. Why do you want to live there? Right? Like that's a second level question, third level question. What's so significant about you moving to that area? And so, you know, we just talk about it all the time because there's always the deeper why behind the emotional reason why people are wanting to do something. And as a sales professional, we're identifying the pain point and then figuring out if we're the solution to their pain point. If we are, then it's our obligation to hey, if we think that we're the best at the thing we do, you think Rocket Mortgage is going to care? They're just going to sell them a 8 9% rate with two points and whatever origination, all the crazy stuff, right? And so you believe that you're the best loan officer for this person? Personally, I think it's your ethical obligation to get them to work with you. 1,000%. You know what? Rocket Mortgage is going to be a commodity. They're consumer direct. I've worked with lots of consumer direct folks. I've been in the corporate world on that side too. I'm not going to blow any smoke on any of it. Everybody's got a role in this industry and everybody's here to help consumers. But let's face it. I don't know of a client that said, God, I work with a Rocket Mortgage telephone. <laughs> LO that I called into an 800. I'm going to call them every day for the rest of my life and send them everybody I know. And it's yeah. a flight to those individuals, but it's a different game. It's a completely sure. different game. It's a numbers game. That is what it is. And so when you are a commodity, you are dispensable. Of course. You don't want to be dispensable. Ironically, I happen to be training an inside LO this week, and she's going to help me with my business because my database has been hanging out for a while. And I mean, I haven't really actively originated in a while, and I still get calls all the time. And I'm trying to create a situation where someone else can benefit from that. And also, this goes to that ethical obligation. If I've been helping these people for 25 years, do I really want them not to know that I'm still here to help them when they need something. So perfect example, we're going in our CRM. I'm proud of this, by the way. You it can pull up a PDF of a lead sheet that I took in 2004. And on that lead sheet, you will see the ages of that person's children, where they went to school, whether they're married, everything about that person, the names of their children. And every time anybody on my team ever talks to that customer for the entire life of our relationship with them, they know their story. They know who they are. They can look at that lead sheet and go, 2004, shoot, those kids are probably out of college by now. Hey, right. how's Brayden doing? You know, I noticed when you were working with Jamie, you know, Brayden was, gosh, Brayden was only eight years old. Brayden's got to be about of college by now, you know, out of high school. How's Brayden doing? You know what that means to people? Are they now going to leave me over, I don't know, an eighth in interest rate or a $200 difference in cost? You know, they're not. No. I cared. I cared enough to know them and continue to know them. And I'm going to give them a great loan. And I'm going to guide them into the right program so that it's their decision and not just me giving them one option and telling them that's the only thing that they should do. Yeah, that's critical. And we talk about this in, you know, with CRMs as well. It's like, what's the point of a CRM if you're not using it? Right. I mean, so many times the biggest question you go into any of these Facebook groups is like, well, that's the best CRM. It's like, well, oh, I know question. it's cliche, the one that you use. I mean, it could be a spreadsheet. Who cares? Yes, there are better and less good platforms, right? Like we can argue all day about that. But the truth is, it doesn't matter. Most people that are looking for that have probably worked with 10 different platforms. are never going to put the time in to learn the new platform. So they're just ultimately wasting money. I mean, it comes down to it. Like you can be the old school person that has 
paper files. I mean, I don't recommend it, but you could do that. I mean, as long as you have a way to track that, and I agree, kind of reading between the lines is one of the most powerful ways to build trust as a salesperson because, yeah, you hear a dog barking in the background. Okay, well, next sales call, maybe you have a follow-up call with them. You can say, hey, how's the dog doing? I heard him you know, barking in the background last time. You know, what type of dog is it? Right, like little things like that. And also salespeople, like we talk to so many people, they're like, oh, we're going to remember that. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh crap, I just talked to like 50 people in the last two weeks. Like, how am I going to remember that we just don't have the capacity as humans unless you have a photographic memory, which Mm -hmm. most of us don't. So you really do need to write these things down because even if you have a great memory, if you're a salesperson that's doing the work and talking to the people every single day, you're going to be talking to so many people, you're never going to remember those little details. And what if you have to build a team under you? What if you do build production up high enough that it can't all be you, but you still want to help everybody you can? Give them some information. It takes you 10 seconds to, you know, no longer maybe writing on that lead sheet, but maybe you're typing notes into your CRM. First question I asked my weekly coaching call today with my sales team, made everybody raise their hand and I made them admit to me who started creating a database. Because we have some really, really new folks, like brand new, just got their NMLS done where we began. And of course, last week's call was... Do you want to set yourself up for a successful 2024? Well, here's something you need to do today. And the very first thing every single person with an NMLS license needs to do at any level of experience is know who your sphere of influence is. Everybody you know better be somewhere where you've got their contact information. And my favorite low, no pressure way to reach your clients at this time of year is the good old annual call to update their contact information. Why? Well, because we've had a really wild year in the housing industry and we know change is coming. We're coming up on an election year and there's a lot of stuff going on in the political climate. Things are going to change. I really want to make sure that you're in the loop on what's coming up because we all know the news outlets are sometimes weeks behind the report. I want you to know. I want you to know what's happening. Let me just make sure this is the email address I've got for you. Is this phone number I'm calling you on? It's still good. Still the best one. Great. Hey, listen, this is what I have as your mailing address. Is that still it? Guess what you're going to find out? If the answer is no, they probably did a loan without you. Right. And now you have another thing to talk to them about and another reason to continue the conversation. And you walk away having reconnected with somebody that knows, likes, and trusts you. You've gotten some information to arm you to help them better. And once again, you have a viable way to let things like drip campaigns and automated sequences be your backbone while you're continuing to have those personal conversations with everybody that you touch. It's not magic, not rocket science, but it works and it will work forever. And manual touches. Yep. I mean, you talked about manual touches. I talk about calling the leads all the time because yep. people want to automate everything and it doesn't work. Humans are wanting that personal touch more than ever before because of the automation of everything. And so what does that cadence look like? I mean, you talk about building that database. So for anybody who is listening to this that maybe hasn't started doing that or maybe isn't actively doing it, Kind of the reason I ask is also because I did a podcast with the guys from Monitor Base and they talked about the average retention for the mortgage industry is 19%. So 81% of people are working with another loan officer on the next transaction. Yeah, I thought it was actually lower, to be honest with you. I thought it was worse. It used to be somewhere in the 10 percentile way back when. Wow. Um, you hit it, right? Especially with like AI these days. People know when they're getting automated messaging. You can pretty mm-hmm. it up as much as you want. They know it. And they're used to it and they're expecting it. But if you want them to trust you and use you and work with you because of who you are, you can't lose sight of that personal connection. Technology is a tool. That is all that technology is. It has to be used in conjunction with the personal touch in order to be effective. You are the most effective when you do both. 
Sure. You are not effective when you only do one or the other, because if all you're doing is manual outreach, you're not going to be able to cycle back through your database Agreed. quickly enough and often enough. And so for cadence, it kind of depends. The campaign I started this morning with my new LA is, it's a weekly check-in for the next five weeks. It takes us through the end of the year and into the new year. And of course, at each interval, you know, holidays are coming up. Hey, happy new year. It's so clean, so easy, and so simple. Checking in, annual review verify your contact information. And then there's some little sprinklings of some stuff in between each one. But guess what? They don't get that sequence until somebody picked up the phone and talked to them or left them mm. a message or let them know you're going to be getting some emails from my team. And I want you to know they're coming from me and here's why. That right there, the phone is going to ring. The emails are going to come because you know for a fact that if you hit enough people, there's going to be a response rate. And from that response rate, as long as you're responsive and consistent, you're going to convert some stuff into loans. I love that. Sales is mostly a numbers game at the end of the day, right? I mean, yeah. you know, you can improve the numbers, but it's still a numbers game. I mean, you may be able to talk to 100 people and have 20 people, you know, go in a contract, or you may be talking to 100 people and have one person go into contract. Yeah, you can increase that, but you still know what is it going to take for me to get one closing. All right, and you talk to 100 people. Talk to 500 people, you get one, right? We all get one each, right? You know, So it's like, it's not that hard. And most of the time, I mean, it's hard. It's simple though, right? It's a concept that I talk to people all the time. And they're like, oh man, how are you doing this? How are you doing that? And I'm like, well, how many cold emails did you send out? How many cold calls did you make? How many people did you talk to? How many Facebook posts did you do? How many comments did you send? You know, did you post? How many people did you message on social media? Like nine times out of 10, like they haven't done any of those things or they've done a little small percentage of those things, right? And so, you know, coming back to the database from a manual perspective, are you calling these people a couple of times a year? Is it once a year? Like what's that sort of look like? You know, because I think that's a huge way, especially for established people that have been in the industry for a long time. Hopefully next year or the year after will be a good year for refinances, for rates coming down, things like that. So what does that look like? from that perspective, from a tactical perspective in yeah. terms of manual outreach? Well, here's a cool part of the manual outreach in today's world. It doesn't necessarily have to be phone call. You know your clients, you know, my right. reverse clients, I'm going to make phone calls. But it could also be, you know, Facebook Messenger, which actually a lot of my clients use a ton. Sure. It could be Instagram, it could be email, and it could be phone. It could be any number of those things. The cadence of the I'm checking in for no reason other than to just see how things are and get updated contact information has to be at least twice a year. You better be talking about that often. But in between, you better also be wishing them a happy birthday. Right. That is the easiest win on Facebook you can ever have. They're telling you whose birthdays are coming up. A friend of mine, one of my leaders actually here, does it a day before their birthday. He's the first person that they see in their Facebook yeah. inbox. Yeah. And it's they love it. They love it, right? Yeah. And so you better be remembering those things. If you've got a good CRM and you're tracking stuff, if they have an anniversary or something coming up, you better tell them that too. I mean, care about them and what's going on in their world and set up something so that the system is working for you. And every time there's a milestone that happens throughout the year, you are one of the people that is reaching out to recognize that with them. If you do that and you do the twice a year outreach, and then I try to get in front of at least once every 90 days myself, personally, while all of these other automated things that I just talked about are happening in the background, what is the likelihood that I'm going to be the first person they think of when they think about a mortgage? It's a right. lot higher than if I called them once a year, or if I started a campaign and it ran for about four weeks and then I abandoned it and I didn't do anything and they didn't hear from me again. And then somebody from consumer direct company was lighting up their text messages and they're like, yeah, I'm gonna call this person. Yeah go back to your birthday message thing. Like that is a simple way. And there's simple ways you can stand out as well. So here's what I'll say. I just had my birthday, you know, this month and I was kind of like tracking. So obviously I'm friends with a lot of loan officers. So I got a bunch of mostly posts on my wall, right? On my Facebook page. 
Then I got a few people that sent me messages. Then I had a few people that sent me videos. And then I had, I think, three people that sent me personalized videos. Those are the people that stood out. I had one guy that actually recorded himself playing the guitar. I thought this was going to be a generic one because some people are doing that, like which I still think is better than doing nothing or just posting HBD or happy birthday on someone's wall. He literally did a guitar, happy birthday guitar, riffed on the guitar and then said my name in it. And I was like, that's awesome. That's like the best thing I've seen. And so that's a way that lone Oscars can really stand out is like, all right, well, send them a video message. You know, it's a little bit more work, but if you send them a unique video message with their name in it, because we all love to hear our own names, that is going to be probably the most powerful way to really get that connection. But again, I know it's a little bit more work. I just, yeah, I'm a huge fan of video message. I mean, bomb bomb is my friend. Like, and you're right. I mean, I'm obviously in the same community here with you. And it's a lot of loan officers that are maybe wishing me a happy birthday. And they're friends of mine. And some of them are just acquaintances or colleagues or people right. that I'm not super close with. You know that the people that took the time to do a personal video, I'm remembering those people. Oh, I'm yeah. thinking about them and thinking that that it tells me two things. It tells me they're willing to work for relationships, mm-hmm. whether they're reciprocal relationships where I'm a customer or a referral partner, or whether it's just a, hey, Jamie's another leader in the space. I want to pour into that relationship because it's worth it. And it also tells me they're disciplined. They're disciplined enough. I'm probably not the only person getting a personal message. Those are the loan officers who are weathering every storm. Those are the loan officers who are going to be standing on the other side of this. We talk about NMLS reports, you know, they're forecasting the lack of renewals this year and how many loan officers will drop off because they don't want to pay the licensing renewal fees and all that stuff. More now than ever, you're going to have opportunities. What if the loan officer that didn't renew was a local real estate agent's go-to guy? He's gone. Right. You better be that go-to guy. Are you there? Are you at the open house? Do they know who you are? Are you in their inbox? Are they remembering that you also do loans? Did you do something authentic to differentiate yourself? Do they remember your story? Right. That's how you win. I love that. So I know we've kind of already been given some gems here in terms of things that people can do, but let's say you were to become a loan officer or go back to, you know, actively originating, or maybe you were a new loan officer, like what would you go out there today to implement to get business in this market? It's the database. Yeah. Create it again. Like you said, care if it's Excel, there's so many other options out there for free. They're better than Excel, but if it's Excel, fine name, address, email, phone. If you start to put people in there and you can't answer all four of those questions, Hey, Jill, you know, I started a new career in the mortgage industry, just kind of build up my contacts. I want to make sure, listen, I realized I don't have your mailing address. Can you give that to me? That's awesome. Hey, how long have you owned your home anyway? I've been there a long time, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you mind if I ask you, you know, what kind of rate do you have right now? What's the term? Dude, these are easy. Like I just took one little tiny minuscule example and it became a conversation. So database, get your stuff in there. If you don't know the answers, call the person and find them. It's a perfect example and a reason to call them. Then start reaching out now end of the year use my annual contact information updates tried and true it works people don't get mad when you call them and ask them for that they already know you you're not trying to sell them a bill of goods then you need to start educating yourself it's all well and good to understand the words you use and how to answer a question that you don't know with credibility and go back and check and do all those things. But at some point, you better have the credibility. You better build the knowledge. So you better be soaking up information from account executives at the lenders that you use. We have a lender spotlight every week. One of our rotating lenders comes in and talks about everything and how to work with that lender and what to do, what programs they offer. You should be soaking up every single bit of education you can. Pay attention to what the people who are winning are doing. Mm-hmm. Most of us will tell you, steal our crap. Take my stuff off of Instagram. Use it. I don't care. It's okay. Right. 
what do we call it? There's a word we called it like curating content, curating content, yeah, right. create some content, whatever you do, do it now, know who your sphere is and don't stop doing it just because tomorrow you didn't get 15 phone calls back. It's funny. You call the curating. I call it R and D rip off and duplicate. <laughs> nice. I like it. So yeah, that's amazing. It's true. I mean, at the end of the day, there's so many examples of people that are actively doing. And what I tell people too, is like, you don't feel like you have value to give a real estate agent or a consumer. Obviously, you can learn your products. I think that's the thing that most loan officers are going to dig into is learning your products. So great. You should do that because that's part of your job. You should also learn marketing. You should also learn sales. You should also be messing around with AI. Yes, I know if you're not doing a ton of business, don't mess with AI yet. But at some point, you should be looking at AI, figuring out how you can use it for your business. You can go on YouTube. Watch YouTube videos at night if you have to prospect during the day and watch YouTube videos at night on how to rank on Google, right? You can show a real estate agent how to do a GM. Anyway, sorry, I'm going down this rabbit hole because loan officers, it's like, well, I don't know what's valuable. It's like, well, become a person of value. Like, create it. Yeah, if you don't have the value, if you don't really truly believe you have value, I don't think anybody doesn't have value personally. I think everybody has value if they sit down and think about it. But if you don't think you have it, go get it, figure it out. What is it that they need? They want to make more money or they want to save time. Mm -hmm. Can you help them do one of those two things with the value that you provide? And that's what it comes down to. So thank you so much, Jamie, for your time today. It's been fantastic. If anybody wants to learn more about you, your business, wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Absolutely. Well, my cell phone is everywhere. I would be a bad salesperson if it wasn't, yes. right? But it's yes. everywhere. Google me, you'll find me. But also go to amerifund.com, A-M-E-R-F-I-F-U-N-D, A-M-E-R-F-U-N-D.com. I'm right there. My cell phone, my email, it's all there for you. I love talking to loan officers care if you don't want to talk to me about working in a marathon. I love helping people. And I love taking a few minutes to give some tactical action items that can change somebody's career today. So please always reach out to me if anybody needs anything. Yeah, I love that. That's always huge. And as we've referenced multiple times on this podcast, but do believe that you have the abundance mentality, just like, Hey, basically use me, work with me, like ask me questions. I'll answer the questions. Right. And, and, you know, I think that's testament to maybe, you know, mindset developed and things like that, because I don't necessarily think that comes natural. I do think that, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, you kind of have that insecurity, like, are they going to take this and, and implement it? And I've just kind of been I'm like, the truth is I can give everything away. Like maybe 1% of the people, like I do trainings on AI all the time. I think maybe three or four people have actually implemented the things that I've taught them. Yeah. But now they see me as a thought leader. They see me as the AI, whatever, like do the work, like, telling you how to do this, like just do it. And 99% of people aren't doing it. So I do think that you can gather all of that. For me, the biggest takeaways from today is work your damn database, develop a database, work the database, but then also show up, be authentic, grow, become a better human, a better leader, a better everything. And I think you're going to succeed in this business, even in a market like today. So thank you so much for your time today. And for anybody who is listening and is looking for some strategies on how to flip the status quo on real estate agents, go to flipthestatusquo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans On Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.